Welcome to The Labor of Love, a podcast about marriage, family, and making peace with the people we live with. I'm Lori Leibovich, editor of RealSimple.com. First of all, Happy New Year, everyone. I'm assuming that a lot of us made resolutions a few days ago. And as much as we start the new year with good intentions, oftentimes the things we resolve to do have already faded and not been accomplished by, say, mid-January. So I thought we'd start the year off on the podcast by talking to two experts about how we can set ourselves up for relationship success in the new year and make resolutions that we can actually keep. Joining me today is Dr. Laura Markham, a clinical psychologist, founding editor of ahaparenting.com, and author of the book, Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids, How to Stop Yelling and Start Connecting. Hi, Laura. Hello. Also joining me is Marina Williams, a couples counselor in Boston and author of five books, including Couples Counseling, A Step-by-Step Guide for Therapists. Hi, Marina. Hi, Lori. It's great to be here. So, Marina, if you wrote the book for couples counselors, you must have a lot of experience and a lot of things to say. I often think when I think about my resolutions, they're always about me. They're about my health, my fitness. We don't often think about resolutions in terms of how we're going to resolve to change things with other people in our lives. What are some things that couples could do together to jointly resolve to create a more balanced, happy partnership? Yeah, well, I I think you're right that it does start with the individual. And I think that a lot of times people, at least this is what I see in my office, is that couples in conflict are often way too focused on what the other person is or isn't doing in the relationship. And really what you need to focus is, what am I doing? What, What can I do? I'm a little worried that if you try to like set goals for both of you, it could just turn into like you policing your partner. If a couple is in a good place, then, then yeah, I think it would be great to set goals together, like reading together, working out together, cooking together. I think that would be wonderful. But if the goal is to improve the relationship, it needs to start with you. Laura, we as parents are usually pretty hard on ourselves. I know I am. We always think we can be doing a better job. What are some manageable and realistic goals that parents could set for themselves this year in terms of establishing more connected relationships with their kids and also just having a more balanced household? For many years, the number one resolution for parents in the United States has been to stop yelling and be more patient, which, you know, related things. But now that's being edged out by a desire to put down the cell phone and be more present with children. Wow. So on my AHA Parenting website, I ask people to share their New Year's resolutions, and so many of them are related to putting down the cell phone and simply getting down on the floor with the kids and connecting with them. So that, you you raised a question that I was going to raise later on, but let's start with it now. I think that we can talk about the impact that our phones and our digital lives have on both our relationships with our kids and our relationships with our partners and our relationships with our friends, our coworkers. It's so ubiquitous, and we all seem to have our heads in our devices at the expense of our relationships. So let's start with parenting. Laura, besides getting down on the floor, what are some actual goals that parents could set to make sure that the screen isn't always mitigating their relationships with their children? The only way to be successful with any kind of resolution is to be very specific. 
So just to say, I'm going to put down my phone more and be more present will not help you. You'll turn around and march and you're still in the same place. But if you say, from now on, when I pick up my kids at, you know, whatever time that I'm off work and I go pick up the kids or whatever, and we go in the house, I'm putting my phone in its charging station by the door and I'm not picking it up again until the kids are in bed, that would be a huge, huge thing to do. You could maybe start it half an hour at a time if you really can't handle more than that. You know, start it with dinner or start it with a half an hour while they're doing their homework or whatever. But set a specific time when you're not going to touch your device and you've turned it off. And to that end, Laura, you know, I think I was just just to share an anecdote. I I rushed home from work yesterday to be at uh, my daughter's gymnastics recital and I was sitting in the gym and there were probably a dozen parents there. And at any given moment, you know, there were a lot of kids in these classes. Your kid wasn't always performing. However, I looked around, and at any given moment, myself included, we as parents were all looking down at our phones while our kids were doing this performance in front of us. When the class ended, a little girl went up to her mom and just said, why'd you even come? You weren't even looking at me. And I thought that was, and all of us heard it, everyone around, and I think it made us gasp. And it it was just a reminder that this universe, we have to be so careful when we take out these things that really do put up a wall between us and our families. And you know, it's the nature of addiction that we're not always honest with ourselves about it. Yeah. And I think that what happened, I was watching, what happened was that people would look down at their phones when their children weren't performing and then forget to look up again. And right. so, and you, oh, and you also saw my daughter included all the kids checking on the parents to see whether they were watching. You know, we wonder why there's an epidemic of anxiety among our children, which there is. And there are many reasons for it. But one of them is that they're constantly having to check to see if we're present with them in an instance like that or even in the house. And the way our biology is designed from the Stone Age is that as children, we need to know there's an adult keeping us safe in case a tiger jumps out of the bushes. So children are always checking just to make sure we're present. And often, nowadays especially, we're not. Marina, I think this goes for couples as well. I know, you know. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There was a great Valentine's Day card that I saw last year, which showed, actually didn't show anything, but the words were something like, you're my favorite person to lie in bed with and with my phone or something. (laughs) Um, And that Mm. was like, that's the nature of romance. And I think that that's a very familiar scenario for a lot of couples is that they might be physically together in the home or in the bed or watching television, but actually they're in their own silos doing their own thing and not connecting. What are some manageable resolutions that couples could make when it comes to technology? Yeah, and I'm so glad that you brought up this topic because this will probably surprise a lot of people, but as a couples counselor, I hear more about Facebook, social media, and smartphones than anything else. And has that changed over the years and your years of experience? Is that a new phenomenon? Oh, oh, yeah. Like, you know, starting my career, you know, I wasn't hearing about, you know, Facebook, social media, the computer, et cetera, et cetera. But now it, it's definitely increased and I would have never seen that coming. And, you know, it does pose challenges for couples because, you know, the things we're, we're starting to, to fight about, you know, smartphones, it's 
it's a device that's supposed to make our lives easier and it's making things more complicated. And, you know, this is going to sound crazy to some people, but I actually only use my phone to receive calls. I don't text people. All my friends know not to text me. I don't, you know, scroll the internet. And I like that. And I like to keep it that way. I do computer stuff on my computer. I take calls on my phone. And that way, when I'm away from my house doing things with my husband, we actually get to enjoy our time together. Laura, parents are off, you know, are obviously their children's role models. So with technology and with other things, we are the ones that they're watching and will eventually, if not immediately, emulate, which means that what we choose to do with our time and with our voices and with our technology is is likely going to be something that they do too. What are some behaviors and things that we as parents should try to really work on not exhibiting in front of our children this year so that we're not creating more conflict or confusion for them? Well, this will sound glaringly obvious, but many, many adults still use their phones in their cars. Hmm. And when I point out to them that this is setting an example for their children who at the age of 16 will have a driver's license, they say, oh, but she's only five, she won't remember. No, actually, she's growing up and she's seen that this is what you do in a car. You use your phone. That's pretty serious. So that could save a child's life. That's obvious, but it's worth saying. And then I would say that what children say when you ask children, very much like the little girl at the recital, children say, you know, I wish I could just be with my mom or just be with my dad without them pulling out the phone. So I would say to set aside time that is family time where it's sacrosanct. And you don't pull out your phone no matter what. I don't care whether you're bored. I don't care whether you think you should take a picture. There are plenty of other opportunities to take photographs. Whatever, because, you know, that's the excuse people get, and then they're on their phone, right, looking at the Mm -hmm. new text or whatever. So I would say just role model for your kids that the phone is not the most important thing. You know, I also, one mom described to me how her daughter now, when her daughter is four, when the mom's phone will ring or the noise that comes in that shows that there's a text there, the child will run and grab the phone and run to her mama to say, Mommy, Mommy, you got a text. Mm. That's the most important thing in this four-year-old's life. And that's what the mother has essentially communicated to the child. So how about rethinking this for our kids and saying nothing is more important than our human relationships? We're a family. We pay attention to each other. Yes, the phone is there. It's a tool. We use it when we want to. The rest of the time, it's off. I'd love to hear from both of you, and I'll share some myself, of things that you might have resolved to do this year and failed at or were uh, successful at. Can you start, Laura? I have been a meditator off and on my entire life. This year, I decided I really was going to meditate at least once a day, every single morning, and sometimes at night. So the sometimes at night mostly didn't happen because it was a sometimes thing. <laughs> but the morning, I did it as an inviolate thing before I did anything else. I would have my coffee, I would sit down and meditate, and it really worked. And that has, I think, been, I, would, I, I'm, I might call it transformative. Um, it's been a wonderful addition to my life where it used to be that I would meditate a few times a week. Now I really, I meditate every day and it, it makes a tremendous difference. Has it helped your relationships? 
I would say that I'm more fully present in general in my day, but the surprising place it's helped. I my relationships are pretty good. My my relationships with my kids are good and I it's easy for me to be present with them. I've worked at that. And also with my husband. But where it's helped me, believe it or not, is in my email. I used to feel hmm. completely you know, I would greet my email inbox every morning feeling overwhelmed by it and find that it, it was sort of an impediment to the real work I needed to do and I would resent it. And I found that when I meditated first and I would go into it, it was a different experience. It was much easier. I sailed through it. I didn't. And when it started to feel like it was overwhelming or I was resenting that I wasn't doing my important work, I would just stop and say, well, the most important thing I need to do right now is what? And then I would do that as opposed to the inbox. So I think it kept me clear about my priorities. So that was really helpful. Well, I think not treating your inbox with resentment is transformative in and of itself. Yes. <laughs> That's yes. huge. I'm with you. Yes. How about you, Marina? Yes. Did you have any resolutions that were kept or uh, not kept this year that you'd like to share? Yeah, so my 2015 resolution was sort of a, a spin on the I want to get fit resolution that everyone usually has. Now, I know, you know, for me personally, if I had made a resolution to go to the gym, I was going to fail that. Like, I am not a gym person. Buying a gym membership is setting myself up for failure. But what I did instead was I made the resolution that I was going to learn how to dance. And me and my husband took cool. ballroom dancing lessons. We danced together. We, you know, we go out to dance this Saturday night. And, you know, it was a really fun resolution to keep, to be honest with you guys. That's awesome. Um, I'll share my massive failure, which was we had a podcast several months ago towards the beginning of the year where I had a guest on who talked about the importance of family dinner and how to get dinner on the table, which has been a struggle for me in my entire time as a mother. And I was very resolved after this episode to take her advice and read her books. And I really like her. And she's always she's a friend. And so I did. I read the book and I made notes and I put sticky things in and I made, came up with a plan and it worked for about a week. So as mm -hmm. last night, as I was putting frozen pizza in the oven and microwaving some rice and beans, I was feeling my failures. But I did was able to see that, well, at least I was home for dinner and that the kids and I had that time together. And then one of my resolutions that I was able to keep, which was hugely transformative last year, was that I've always wanted to sing. And so I took voice lessons this year with my son at the school where he takes drums. So we go together every Saturday and he goes to drums and I go to voice and we have our first gig in a couple of weeks. So that's super exciting. Those are great. Can we just talk a little bit before we wrap up about a really good way of structuring your resolutions when it comes to your relationships so that they are manageable, they are something literally you can put on a list and do each week or each day? Yeah, I think that the best thing as far as making sure that your resolutions actually get accomplished is to find a way to schedule it into your life. So often our lives are so overscheduled that there's no room to add anything else. And I think that's what people find, you know, by about mid-January, 1st of February, is that there just isn't any room in their life. When 
there is. You just need to find a way to schedule it in and make it into a daily habit so it's a non-issue. It's, you know, of course, it's 9 p.m. This is when me and my husband meet to, you know, connect, talk about our relationship, et cetera. We do this every day. So it needs to be made into a routine if it's going to actually happen. Our last podcast was about resolutions, sexual resolutions that we can all make for this year. And our guest also said that scheduling and, you know, putting something in the calendar, whether it's connecting for conversation or connecting for sex, is essential and that we can't think about it as not being, oh, I'm not going to do that. That's not romantic. You know, we kind of have to be practical about these things and actually get them get them in. Yeah, and I think that, like, you know, and a lot of people say that it's not spontaneous, it's not romantic, but, you know, I think it can create a sense of fun and anticipation, like, all right, it's Saturday morning, you know, this is <laughs> this is our time to, to connect sexually, and that can be a fun and exciting thing to think about as, you know, it starts getting into Friday and then finally Saturday, so it doesn't have to be this, like, well, I guess it's time that we have sex, it can be like a, yay, it's finally Saturday, you know, something like that. Laura, do you have any advice for making realistic and actionable parenting resolutions that we can follow? Yeah, I think that Marina is absolutely right that you have to schedule it in and that, you know, the only way we ever meet a big goal is to break it into smaller chunks and accomplish one day at a time. So it might be that what you want to assign yourself on that first day is get up 10 minutes earlier than usual so I can listen to a meditation audio. And that night, you have it scheduled on your calendar to evaluate. How did that work? Oh, well, it didn't really work. I, I pressed snooze and then I only had five minutes or the kids interrupted me or whatever. And so every day, it's on your calendar to evaluate and it becomes a habit. How did this work for me? Oh, I did it today. Actually, I've been doing it for a week. Actually, I notice I'm now calmer. Now I'm ready to add something else. So it could take a month to just get through step one, which is just fine because it takes a month to develop even a simple habit. It takes three months to develop a more complicated habit, right? So another thing people should know besides having it on the calendar is that it helps to attach it to something you're already doing. So if you already brush your teeth every night, that can be you brush your teeth and then you sit down for 10 minutes and you just write in your journal, you know, where you blow off steam about what happened with your kids today and you look for one thing that worked well that you found really helped you. What supported you today? And one thing that maybe you want to revisit, oh, there was that unfortunate interaction where I yelled at my son. Let's do a replay of that in my mind right now so I can reprogram my subconscious that next time this happens, I can have an option to handle it differently. So if you can schedule to do that at the same time every day, as Marina says, and in fact attach it to something you'll be doing anyway, like brush your teeth, then you have the chance at actually making it happen. And then the other piece of it is to revise every single day so that you're giving yourself some new version of the task where you may be try to redo it in a better way or you upgrade it a little bit tomorrow. What's an example of that? Let's say you'd like to stop yelling. It's pretty hard to stop yelling and you need to have a plan. And so let's say your plan is I want to get through tomorrow without yelling at my kids. Well, how will I support myself to do that? Hmm, I'm going to try to get enough sleep. So really you've got the support part and you've got the overall goal. And my intention is every day I yell less 
So you set that intention, and it really helps to write it down and to declare it to your family so you're public about it, and you're essentially accountable for it. And then you say to yourself, the reason I yell is I'm so exhausted in the morning, and I'm going to start by getting enough sleep. So then the next day when you go to evaluate. You're breaking it down, and you're really looking at all the reasons for the behavior. Exactly. And one more thing, Laura, do you think that it's a good idea to work with kids on resolutions for themselves? Only if the child is the motivator. If the parent says, oh, wouldn't you like to have a New Year's resolution? And the child says, yeah, I think that sounds cool. First of all, you start from a place of love, not the child is broken, you're fixing them, but more like, you know, you've had a wonderful year. You started playing soccer. You got better at your swimming stroke. You, I noticed that it was easier for you to sit down and do homework. I noticed how you were being so much nicer to your sister in the last few months. If the parent can start from that place of love rather than the child is broken, then that appreciation makes the child feel like it's just an extension of their strengths to tackle this new territory. If the parent is saying, I think you need a New Year's resolution to be nicer to your sister, (laughs) that will blow up in everybody's face. Right. (laughs) Although I'm very tempted to give that one to my son. Um, Of course. And uh, Marina, before we end, is it Would you advise couples to talk about having maybe a resolution together that they could work towards in the new year? Yeah, I think that if the couple is in a good place, then that's a really good thing to do. And, you know, a lot like what Laura was was talking about, to make it like a really positive thing instead of, you know, this relationship isn't working, we have to change things. Like that, that kind of startup isn't good. You want to make it like a, hey, what do you think about having a resolution as a couple and letting your partner sort of lead and see what they say and, and building off their ideas? And to also, like, have it be pretty low pressure, not like our relationship depends on this resolution succeeding. If you do that, you're setting yourself up for failure. But, again, I think it's, it's really good to have your own individual goals for the relationship and to really take that responsibility for your marriage, for your relationship, and, you know, to be the change that you want to see in your relationship. You've been listening to The Labor of Love. I'd like to thank our guests today, Dr. Laura Markham and Marina Williams. If you have a domestic quandary and would like to be a guest on our show, or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please email us at tlolpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to thank our producer, Tim Einenkel, and our engineer, A.C. Valdez. If you enjoyed the episode, please review and subscribe on iTunes, where you'll also find three more podcasts from Real Simple. You can subscribe to The Labor of Love at iTunes.com slash Panoply or at Panoply.fm. I'm Lori Leibovich, and I'll see you next time on The Labor of Love.